I'm Jack Samlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2018 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. Today's program, Planter Preparation Tips for Strip-Tillers, is once again being brought to you by TopCon. If you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Or if you have another app you prefer for listening to podcasts, let us know, and we'll make every effort to get it listed here as well. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. We also encourage you to mark your calendars and plan to attend the 5th Annual National Strip Tillage Conference July 26th and 27th in Iowa City, Iowa. The event will feature a mix of general sessions, panel presentations, and roundtable discussions. Visit striptillfarmer.com for more information, speaker announcements, and program updates. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy Matters and TopCon Agriculture Application Solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Strip tillers often talk about the need to be more sensible with their seed placement and planter setups to create an increasingly responsive environment for initial plant growth. But how are farmers turning those several inches of optimal planting space into higher yields and lower seed costs? Hitting or missing that target planting zone can be the difference between a bumper crop and disappointing yields. At this year's National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, we had the opportunity to talk with a diverse mix of manufacturers and farmers about their priorities ahead of planting into strip-tilled fields. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast brought to you by TopCon, we share excerpts from those conversations with insight and advice on how to prepare equipment and technology to capture the highest strip-till yield potential prior to planting. We start with a perspective from Fort Dodge, Iowa strip-tiller Dave Nelson, who discusses a few of the critical considerations and mandatory planter preparations he puts to work on his operation. So the number one thing I look at, the things that I've struggled with on my planter before, is when you, when you take it out to the field, you seem to find those two or three things that you couldn't find in the shop. But one thing that always finds to me is my residue managers is making sure whether you've got clean sweep or the Yetter air system and all that, sometimes when those planters have sat, those residue managers are gonna get not rusty, but they're gonna get stiff versus what they are at the end of the season. And so making sure as you're raising and lowering and controlling those air systems on those residue managers, make sure they're all operating at the same um, level and depth in that because that's a key thing to your strip is cleaning off whatever residue is there or cleaning off any clods that didn't break down if it was a false strip-till operation. That's one of the big things to me that I'm messing with more and more over time as my residue manager out front to make sure they're all kind of at the same tightness. And then closing wheels. We're continually looking at our closing wheels. Um, we're seeing a lot of benefit from the Yetter 6200 poly curb spike closing wheel to where we've done some trials and seeing some value versus just a solid rubber wheel. And so that's actually what we're going to on both sides, two poly spikes, and going to on our whole planter this year. Seeing the value of what we've seen on it, seeing what they did in the Bex practical farm research farms data that they've got, 
to where that spike tooth wheel is showing some promise. And so we're going there. What, what are some of the things you've learned, um, you know, I guess, uh, over the years? You know, you, you mentioned some of the things you're seeing kind of pop up now more mm -hmm. regularly. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, maybe some of those earlier lessons that you're like, boy, this is an issue that we we needed to correct or, or mm -hmm. you know, and I'm sure some of it's based on seasonality and, and you got to roll with it. But at mm -hmm. the same time, you know, there, are there kind of some takeaways that you say, especially maybe for guys that are, are relatively new, you know, they've been strip tilling for a couple of years and they're not, they haven't encountered some of these problems. Downforce yet. to me is a big thing. Anytime somebody becomes a new strip tiller, let's say, and wants to try it, 100% of their acres aren't going to be strip tilled. Some of them may be fall and spring or just fall or just spring but they're going back to the other no-till acres or they're going back to their conventional till acres. So every one of those scenarios, fall strip till, spring strip till, conventional till, no-till, are all different soil, not soil density, but soil um, for when your planter is going across that field, it's feeling different things. To where having an active downpour system, not even an airbag system that pumps up over two or three seconds, over 50 feet, but having something like a precision planting delta force is what we run to where it's instantly monitoring where I'm at. And even if it's all fall strip till, whether it was corn stalks or bean stubble or corn stalks with cover crop or, or bean stubble with cover crop, when I strip tilled it, it was really tall cover crop. And so it's, it's a little bit more chunky per se. That strip is going to be so much different than a a strip till, fall strip till soybean acre that didn't have cover crop. It's where that downforce is allowing me, no matter the conditions and the soil conditions, to keep that seed depth at that two inches or whatever my desired depth is. So active downforce, not downforce, active downforce it has been key to us. As we've been 100% strip till, pulled back a little bit because of some landlord concerns of, no, I want to stay conventional tillage. That's a big thing that's that we've noticed from day one. We also caught up with Mike Eaton, Regional Sales Manager for Environmental Tillage Systems Northeastern Region, who touched on the need to take the temperature of strip-tilled soils prior to planting and proper residue management. Yeah, so for me, uh, one of the big ones is, is uh, soil temperature, right? So making you got sure, make sure your soil temperatures are up, you know, appropriate temperatures for putting the, for the seed in the ground. Um, and that starts really with residue management. And so there's lots of different tools out there for, for managing that residue, but making sure you've got the appropriate size residue. Uh, you're, not, you're not bunching it all up and, you know, that can really delay soil temperature moving up or, you know, going up. So, you know, making sure you've got that proper soil temperature to get that seed in the ground. And like I said, it all starts with residue management, you know, in the fall or spring, depending on what your, what your practices are. So, yeah. When we're talking soil temperature, you know, what are maybe some uh, scenarios that, that you're looking for out there in the field? What's kind of the, uh, the optimum and, and maybe what's, uh, you know, kind of the ranges that, uh, you know, maybe uh, are going to be a little scarier for, for getting Yeah. There. Yeah. And so, Again, you want you want to get in the field as early as you can, but uh, if you've got just piles and piles of, you know, if you got 250 bushel corn, you got a lot of residue there. You got a lot of, you know, that's a lot to manage, right? And so when you're looking at the strips, so it's great to have, you know, some of that residue in between the strips. But when you're looking at the strips, you want to make sure that you've got enough of it broke down that it's not going to delay emergence or anything like that, right? So seed to soil contact is another really big one. And again, if you've got a whole bunch of residue, you could be delaying emergence because of that, right? So you know, ideally temperatures, you know, anything above 50 is good. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, so everybody's always trying to push the window a little bit, right? right. So, <laughs> yeah. Have you, uh, you know, kind of seen some situations, like you mentioned, you know, guys are, you know, always tending to get ready to roll, you know, and, and you know, obviously there, there is, you know, a risk of maybe getting out there a little bit too early or, or, you know, kind of trying to stretch that window of opportunity a little bit, yep. you know, wider than, you know, necessary. But 
you know, have, have you guys seen anything, uh, you know, with, with guys that have gotten out there, maybe some lessons learned or things that you guys have, have heard, um, you know, on some situations that, uh, you know, uh, maybe didn't work out so well, but obviously, you know, they, they were correctable and, and some opportunities to, you know, kind of, you know, learn from those going forward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, me personally, I haven't experienced anything sure. on the on the on the really really negative side of things where things have gone backhill or downhill uh, on, on a, you know on a rapid pace like that. Um, I cover a very wide range, so you know, get into an eastern Canada or eastern Ontario for that matter, right? Where they, you know, that you could be dealing with snow uh, in April uh, on a regular basis, right? So, so yeah. you know, maybe uh, when when you're talking about uh, especially in your region, you know, which which certainly, you know, might differ uh, with certain elements compared to different parts of North America, maybe what are some of the things that, um, you know, you recommend or advice you have when you're, you're getting ready to plant, um, you know, is there a difference, you know, for, for what you guys, uh, you know, and, and some of the people out, you know, either Midwest or even further East, you know, are going to encounter uh, when, when they're getting out there. Yeah, and so for me, that becomes what, uh, what type of tillage tool you're using. Um, and so there's all different types of tillage tools when it comes to strip till, when it comes to conventional till, shanks versus coulters. Um, ideally, you want to make sure you're selecting the tool that's going to give you the, the, the you know, the, the best seabed you could possibly get. So kind of like that garden you're looking for, right, uh, in the field. And so for me, it comes down to which tool do I select to make that happen, right? So, um, you know, there's shank systems out there, coulter systems, like I said. And so which tool do I need to use at what time of the year? So, and making sure you're getting those nutrients incorporated into the soil, um, you know, based on your soil tests and what you're, what you're looking for that way. So, yep. Now, obviously, uh, you know, spring application, uh, you know, can vary as well. Mm -hmm. you know, some guys obviously like to apply their nitrogen in fall, you know, with their strip two units. Some guys are going to come back in spring and put something yep. on ahead of planting. Some guys, you know, prefer to, to not have to have anything on the planter. You know, what are you seeing, you know, as, as kind of an effective strategy there when you're getting into, you know, kind of that strip till firm in spring? You know, is, is there kind of a prevailing thought there? Yeah, again, I don't deal with the fall applied nitrogen where I'm at per se, but uh, I know that I know there's a lot of guys in the Midwest that do that. Um, so for me, it's it's really, again, it's going back to what your soil tests are selling you. Sir. So in a time management thing, so um, I know guys that are, are literally putting potash down in the fall, coming back in the spring with ammonium sulfate and potash on the strip, um, and they're able to take whatever they have on their planter off of that now to speed up their planting process. And so there's all different aspects of what's going to work, what's not going to work for your different setup. So how you're set up, whether you're liquid or you're dry, um, whether you're putting an end in the strip prior to and managing your nitrogen that way versus uh, putting it all, all down up front or coming back in inside dressing or wide dropping or whatever you're doing, right? So um, nutrient management is really big. It's again, it's all based on what your soil, you know, what your soil tests are telling you, what your agronomist is telling you. Um, but there's all different ways you can work with that in the strip. So. Anything that uh, you've seen, you know, kind of change at all with, with strip till and, and planting, you know, whether uh, it's on the equipment side or, or kind of the field conditions or, or the technology uh, side? Yeah, I would say a little bit on both. So uh, I was going to say a little bit on the soil conditions and the technology. The technology is definitely helping strip till out. And so, you know, I've heard guys talk, talking about, uh, oh, we tried strip till 20 years ago and it didn't work, right? Well, I can assure you the technology wasn't there 20 years ago. It is. And it's really dialing things in now, right? So you're literally, you're going to run a strip. You can you can have RTK on everything and, and, and you know, you're going to be able to, you know, pinpoint precision on where you're putting that seed versus your fertility. So uh, that's really, really important. Um, uh, just the soil conditions, 
you know, some of the horror stories I heard from last spring were the amount of rain they had in eastern Ontario. Some of the guys that are running soil wars out that way that I talked to uh, and visited their farms. And uh, it became a moisture management at that point. So literally, I had customers calling me saying, I never would have got in my field to plant my corn if I wasn't strip tilling. And so just having that soil structure there, in some cases, to get that rain, get that moisture off the field. In other places, when you get down, in, down south, they're looking to keep that moisture in the field. So creating that proper soil structure uh, and I, I just find that strip till just really hits everything on the head when you're looking at uh, you know what you're looking at you can do you know creating that uh, proper seabed so technology was mentioned as a key element in not only building strips but also staying on those strips at planting Brian Sorby vice president of sales support and channel development with Topcon discusses some of the technology variables strip tillers should account for ahead of planting I think for the guys who put their strips in in the fall, which I think is probably the majority of them, you know, there's one common thread through all strip tillers, uh, guys, when they when they tie the fall application to planting, and that's RTK and line repeatability. We run into it all the time where a guy will, you know, he goes out and runs his strip till. He may or may not be using the same tractor. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't, right? But one thing is for sure that they have to have line repeatability so that when they put that planter out in the field, they're, of course, placing the seed right on where they put their strips. And so a lot of times farmers neglect to maybe check to make sure those lines are present either in a completely different tractor or they're maybe even the tractor they pulled out of the shed. Make sure that the implement is loaded right. Maybe even make a test drive out to the field. You don't necessarily have to drag the planter out there. Just drive the tractor out there and measure just to make sure that when that line is recalled in the spring, that it is in, in the exact same position as it is, you know, that where you laid it in the fall. Now, for the guys that do a little bit of spring strips, which isn't, you know, totally unheard of, um, these guys, just like anything, uh, and really this goes for the guys who do it in the fall too, is, is preparation for the strip till rig itself. Um, now, our findings, we're starting to put a renewed focus on strip till because for two reasons. Number one, we're an RTK company, right? And so we, we, our roots are in high-precision GPS and repeatable lines, repeatable, high, you know, good RTK. And that's, that's very familiar for strip-till guys. So, you know, that kind of positioning is really important to them. Um, so we're putting a renewed focus on that, but, but also from an application standpoint. Um, you know, strip-till rigs aren't the most technically advanced machines. It's really kind of strange because their cousin is an air seeder. You know, they're very similar between the two. A lot of people don't realize this, but in the world of air seeders, particularly up in the in the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada, Topcon's a leader in that space. You know, we've got OEM partners that have our Apollo ECU and our Apollo-based systems on their air seeders, highly advanced air seeders. They're, I mean, they're really, from a technology standpoint, the, one of the more complicated rate-controlled rate machines that there are in the world. And what happened was, we developed that product over the course of four or five years between our uh, X35 console and our Apollo ECU. And what we did was we kind of inherited a, a fantastic strip-till controller almost by accident. So it's almost like a, like a collateral benefit of all that, those millions of dollars we invested in that product. Now we have something that is highly repeatable, it's OEM grade, and it can go on these strip-till rigs and, and give a farmer who would ordinarily have something fairly simple, give them the ability to do variable rate, 
simultaneous dry, liquid control, all those kinds of things. So my tip to uh, a farmer who's about to go out is, you know, in the months leading up to there, consider uh, an advancement on the strip-till rig itself. And if you already do have a rate control system, it's a good time to get out, run some material through, even if you're dropping it on the ground, just to make sure that when you get out in the field and you're actually going to put those strips in, you don't have something broke, then you're on the phone, you're calling your dealer, wanting to get answers, you know, yesterday. It's like any other, I think, piece of advice to farmers is a little bit of advanced preparation goes a long way. Talking with Kurt Davis, Director of Marketing at Kuhn Krauss, he shares some of the specifics on the adverse effect planting into a cloudy seedbed can have on yields, as well as the value of keeping an eye on field moisture before planting with cover cropping. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, some of the first things are definitely the residue management, being able to manage that residue and cut it and size it appropriately, but mix it into the soil uh, to where you get an even distribution of residue. You don't want any hot spots or bunching or streaking of that residue in the field because that can impact the germination rate of the crops that we're planting and have a detrimental effect on uh, the final yield of that crop. You know, if, if just one of those seeds in, a, in 17 and a half feet doesn't come up that we're trying to plant, then that can have as much as a 7% impact on the final yield of that crop. So residue management is a key piece to make sure that we keep in mind for seedbed management. The other piece is just clod size. To have that appropriate aggregate size to be able to get the good seed to soil contact that we're looking for. Typically, you know, a good rule of thumb is anything greater than two inches of clod size could impact the uh, seed to soil contact for corn or even soybeans in that matter, but uh, particularly for corn. Uh, because it's a more sensitive seed and being able to ensure that we can get that uh, seed to soil contact with a good uh, clod size gives us that moisture for the seed to germinate. Uh, I guess the final thing would be just the firmness of that seed bed and uh, having a proper firmness ensures that we don't lose moisture so the more we can firm that uh, seed bed to the appropriate level, then we won't lose that moisture that is necessary to get that uh, germination rate, get that temperature up on that seed bed to trigger that seed to germinate and sprout and, and take root. So those are some of the main things I, that uh, are necessary for proper seed bed management. And then on the opposite side of the coin, maybe a few examples that come to mind of things that maybe have gone wrong or mistakes that you've seen being made. Anything to avoid on those same line of thinking? Yeah, you know, uh, getting out there too early maybe. Uh, when it's too wet, uh, you want to watch that moisture line in the soil. Make sure that that is pulled down to, you know, that three or four inch range in most cases where we're going to be doing tillage away from that moisture line. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been out in the fields myself and, you know, if it's late April and we really need to get out there and make a seed bed, that's one thing. But uh, getting out there in March when it might be a little too early uh, that's that's some of the things that that I've seen happen but you know I understand as well when it's time to go and your backs against the wall sometimes you have to go but uh, just mind getting out there too early uh, with that wet soil situation that could cause a problem with uh, being out there just uh, with with traffic or with tillage 
I hear that a lot from strip tillers that we visit. They're able to manage that residue a little better. It kind of gives them more flexibility with you know, those planting dates in the spring. Yeah. So then kind of transitioning to the ability to pair up precision equipment with, you know, seed bed preparation and tillage. Does anything kind of come to mind in terms of things that successful examples you've seen or trends that are kind of going, you know, pairing those two ideas together? Well, the, the strip till, as far as precision goes, is uh, probably top of the list on, on pairing precision tillage with uh, the or precision farming with the tillage operation and the planting operation for that matter. Uh, most guys are looking at, you know, if they have a, a 16 row strip till and they have a 16 row planter or either eight and 16, try to match that up as much as possible. But, you know, that was really one of the things that made strip till possible for most people uh, or made it easier at least, was having that guidance and precision as part of the operation with strip till for the planning, planning operation. And then also being able to manage the nutrients uh, and for, for a particular area of the field, the variable rate technology, those kind of things have really impacted uh, probably more so strip till than many other uh, of the tillage operations. And then this can be strip till, no till, whatever. Um, what's kind of the next big trend that you see? Well, um, some of the trends that we're seeing are uh, cover crops, and uh, is one of the things that people are looking at. Especially, you know, the farther south you go, you see a little bit more of that uh, because there's a little bit more growing season to accommodate getting in a cover crop after harvest. But being able to sequester those nutrients over the winter time and keeping those nutrients in the field versus the possibility of leaching or runoff uh, and also helping with erosion, uh, the possible erosion that could happen over the winter with the freeze-thaw cycles and heavy rains or those kind of things. Uh, cover crops are really coming into play in many areas of the country. And, uh, you know, even the farther we go north, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we get the cover crops to grow in the short amount of growing season that we have uh, from harvest until first freeze. So uh, cover crops are uh, becoming one of the major trends, I would say, as well as strip till. Strip till is still trending up, and uh, high-speed tillage is... Uh, uh, trending up because of the efficiency gains that that farmers are seeing with a product like that for residue management and seedbed preparation. We'll get back to the perspectives in a moment, but I did want to again thank Topcon for making this program possible. Agronomy matters, and Topcon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping, to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. Well, let's get back to the uh, highlights now and hear from Jake Jass, sales manager with Copperhead Egg, who breaks down the positive and negative effects of sidewall compaction as it relates to seed depth and plant emergence. Strip till, even though it's a tillage function, always makes me think about planting because it is, people are strip tilling for the best planting condition they can get uh, while maintaining uh, other factors in the field. And it's, uh, it's a lot more deep than that, but it, it, in a 
you know, broad sense, uh, strip tilling is, is about planting. There's, there's a lot of different variations in strip till, and some people do it in the fall, some people do it in the spring. But uh, one thing to be aware of kind of is that if you're coming into a stale seedbed kind of situation where maybe you worked it in the fall, had all winter to settle, or um, you worked it in the spring and then you got two rains on it before you're able to get in the field and it's, it's, it's you know, mellowed out or maybe comp not compacted, but, but uh, the soil is kind of closed in a little bit again. Uh, a thing to watch out for there is sidewall compaction. It's sidewall compaction is something that that's five years ago was a huge buzzword. I think it's still um, kind of a buzzword and I, I think it's um, or a phrase and what sidewall compaction is is a planter has a double disc opener and as it's coming into the ground it's creating a V with those double discs and pressing that throughout the whole field and it's important that you make a good V. It's important that you create some sidewall compaction. In a stale seedbed situation, and the, I should say, the reason that's important to create some compaction is because we wanna make sure that we're getting that seed to the bottom of the furrow. And if you don't have a good furrow, you can't get your seed into the proper depth, and so you, you have to create some compaction. Um, the issue with compaction is that it creates uneven emergence for crops, it creates lower stand count, and it causes problems for uh, seeds in, in early germination periods. So we've got this problem where we have this compaction created, and, and the reason I bring up a steel stale seedbed is that in that circumstance, it's, it's even more likely to cause a greater compaction because you have um, a more compacted soil to start out with. So you're already in somewhat of a compacted soil, you're compacting it more by running that planter unit over it. So what we've got to do is find a way to get that compaction back out of the soil so that we give each one of those seeds a chance to come up. And at Copperhead Ag, that's the main thing that we do. We make spike closing wheels. The spikes go into that V that you've created with your double disc opener. They crumble that sidewall down and then we have a, a wide controlled wheel that firms that soil back up around the seed. So we are able to, in that stale seed bed type place, help with that compaction. The nice thing is, sometimes these guys that are strip tilling have absolutely beautiful strips that are, that are uh, you know, like a garden, right? And in that situation, you can't have a wheel back there, a closing wheel back there that's going to tear things up, and move seed and, and that. So with our wheel being wide and having control, we are able to actually see a positive result from running our spikes even in that really nice soft mellow dirt. So uh, it can be, the, the closing wheels can be a tool for, for either types of situation. So, so when you're thinking about, uh, you know, maybe, uh, any any lessons learned? Any things you get you guys have maybe seen or experienced? Uh, you know, when working with customers, you mentioned obviously you know uh, accounting for that sidewall compaction element. But any uh, you know kind of things that guys have maybe uh, come away with or brought to you? You know, to say, boy, we, we really had an issue with this when we went out this spring or coming out you know out of planting. Uh, this is something we saw that you know we're, we're looking for a solution to. Absolutely. So. Um, in, in the beginning of when I came to Copperhead Ag, uh, we were just coming off of a really wet spring. And everybody, the sidewall compaction was evident. Everybody said, I have sidewall compaction. Um, and so that's what we targeted all of our marketing to. That's what we were telling people about is wet soils, planting into wet soils, etc. Well then, a few years later, 
we decided that we needed to get some studies done so that we could show people physical or, or you know numerical results of, of what we're doing with our closing wheels. So we did a bunch of no-till studies and lo and behold spike closing wheels do great in no-till. Um, it's really no surprise there. I mean and a lot of brands do do pretty well in that. The thing that we did that was different than what other people were doing however was that we went and and found a conventional till uh, research farm to plant a closing wheel study for us and we asked them to target a very nice planting day on the, the best seed bed that they could possibly find, which is what some of these strip tillers are, are tilling into, or planting into, excuse me. And um, so that's what they did. They went and targeted a good planting day and they made the rounds and planted all the studies. And after three years, we are getting consistent four to 5% yield increases over stock rubber tires in the best planting conditions. And we're going, all I wanted to prove, in the beginning of the study, all I wanted to prove was that we're at least as good as rubber tires or stock systems. Like, you don't have to take them back off. You can leave them on. And all I want to do is say, we're not going to rob you yield. Well, here we are coming back with four and five, eight to 10 bushels of corn getting put in the bin because we're getting these yield gains. We're going, what in the world is causing this? Why, why are we getting these gains? And farmers are saying the same thing and they're looking at us in disbelief like, Oh, it's a great planning day. How can you, how can you be doing this? Well, what we think we've learned from that is that we've gotten so used to the V behind the the double disc opening system that we that we think it's supposed to be there. And I talk to farmers at, at farm shows all across the U.S. or at least the Corn Belt, and I talk to them and I say, okay, when you're digging seed, you dig down in the ground and you find that sidewall from your V and you follow that trench to the bottom and there's your seed at the bottom, right? And everybody nods and says, yep, that's how I find my seed. I say, okay, that's why spike closing wheels solve problems because you can find the V even in a perfect planting condition unless you've crumbled it down with your closing wheels. And that is why uh, closing wheels like the, the Furrow Cruiser, like you don't even think you have a problem because you've, it's, it's looked that way for 50 years. And the corn planter hasn't changed for a very long time in the way that it's putting the seed in the ground. And um, at least not the double disc opening system. And it's a problem, but you, you just don't realize it's there. You don't know that that little bit of V that you can find could cause you four to 5%. And what would four to five percent do for your operation? I mean, if you could put money in and say, oh, I'm going to make four or five percent. Well, in today's market, that's probably not really good, at least the stock market. But um, but uh, four to five percent is, is, is a very large deal for farmers. And uh, and so that's a huge lesson that we've learned is is that the status quo um, is it obviously is not always right. And in this circumstance, it was it's, it's completely wrong. Uh, we just people don't know about it. We also chatted with Shell Rock, Iowa strip tiller Chris Lurson, who shares some early downforce lessons learned when planting into strips and some adjustments he's made during three years of strip tilling. My name is Chris Lurson. We, we farm up in north central Iowa, uh, a little town called Shell Rock, Iowa is our, is our hometown. Um, corn, soybean operation, no livestock to speak of. Uh, and, and, you know, basically 50-50 of about, you know, 1,400 acres or so of a rotation. We're a little heavier depending on the seasons, but or the year in one direction or the other. In this case, this year we're going to be a little bit heavier on a rotation of soybeans. Um, but, but uh, yeah, we 
that's 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 our operation. Sure. So I mean, obviously, uh, uh, guys are gearing up for planning here, right mm -hmm. around the corner, in, in a fair amount of the North America. Um, Thinking about kind of uh, some of the things that you need to consider, uh, you know, or, or the lessons learned even uh, in your strip till operation mm -hmm. about preparing for spring planting. Yeah. So I guess just a little bit more background. We've, we're really kind of in our third full year of, of using a strip till system. It just happens to be that a neighbor kind of has one and helps, helps us do it while I go plant his soybeans later on. Kind of a trade-off there. Uh, and and it's it's been it's been really good. It's been a positive experience, you know, with, with placing our nutrients at the right place, right time, helping with kind of reduced passes and and so forth across our field. You know, things I've learned like from our planner, uh, we, have a, we have a Case IH uh, planner, and you know, downforce is really really important. Um, you know, going through the field, and if you're really in a mellow berm. Uh, we, we happen to strip till in the spring, which is kind of what, how it works for us. Uh, and a neighbor that comes and does it really quick for us, the, you know, whatever it is, six to 800 acres. And, you know, he does it and a couple weeks later, we come in and plant. And as I mentioned, the, the downforce part is, is, is kind of been the lesson learned on occasion where, you know, the guy doesn't necessarily come in with his strip straight or, you know, for some reason you didn't quite get your guidance line set up, you know, right. Um, you know, having that downforce set just a little bit higher than what you would normally set in a normal, fully you know tilled field, field cultivated field, or, or VT field, whatever that might be, um, is, is kind of important. Otherwise, the penalty it seems to be uh, pretty severe for as yield goes if you end up outside of that that strip. So that's one kind of lesson learned, and it doesn't hasn't seemed to hinder emergence or anything like that. It's it's been it's been uh, it's been good. So when, when thinking about some of the uh, things you're looking for, uh, whether it's uh, your equipment setup or, or out in the field with that seedbed, um, you know, you mentioned obviously experience, um, you know, and, and obviously if you don't have those strips as straight as you'd like, you know, there, there you know, are potential consequences that can be had. But, um, you know, what, what are you looking for, uh, you know, in, in the spring before you get out in the field? You know, what, do you have kind of a checklist of things? What, what do you... Uh, you know, yep. what's the, the, the proactive versus the reactive approach? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I, that's kind of a tough question. There, there's there's a number of things, you know, that, that you kind of just look at and know. Uh, obviously, the berm formation is, is pretty important because when you do go back in with your planter at this point, for us, when we do it in the spring, it's it's it's, it's a bit mounded up, probably a little bit more than you, you would expect, but the, the row unit smooths it off, so when I finish the berm or finish, you know, planting, it's pretty flat, right, and flat across. Um, I was a bit concerned the first year we did it that, you know, I, I had too much force and it was a little bit indented and figured, oh, how come I'm going to hit those next year and bounce across it? It really wasn't the case at all because um, all the soil ended up right back in, in, in where it needed to be. So, the, the, you know, making sure that the berm ends up pretty flat after the row unit goes through um, was, was kind of the thing that I, I really looked for. You know, obviously with seed depth, I kind of found myself needing to shallow my planter up a little bit um, because it was so soft and mellow. It might be a little bit different from what you, you'd see with a, uh, a field cultivated field, fully tilled field. You know, it, this is a, it is a shanked uh, machine that we use for as our strip till. Um, you know, I really didn't see air pockets. Those are some of the things I was fearful of. In this case, for our field conditions in North Central Iowa, I didn't see the air pockets, seed falling into the abyss or whatever you might say. Heard war horror stories of that, but didn't see it. Uh, and, and I've had really good stands I felt from that. 
Nick Jensen, president of Bluejet, offered some insight on the value of choosing the right strip till and planter attachments to avoid air pockets in the seedbed. There's a few main goals that you always want to take into account when you're strip tilling uh, from our perspective or what we recommend anyway. And, and the first one is, is to always uh, combine a fertilizer pass with it. Uh, of course, if you, if you are able and it works with your program and, uh, and it just makes sense from an efficiency standpoint to do it. Um, the second one is, uh, and, this, and this holds true whether you're in the fall or the spring, but, but particularly in the spring, is to, to dig down when conditions, when conditions change or you go to a different soil type or a different field, to make sure you're digging in your strips and to be sure that you don't have an air pocket or something down in your strip, um, that, a, that a quick adjustment from a row setting could alleviate or fix. And, and along with that, uh, particularly in the spring, you know there are going to be uh, there are going to be certain settings in the spring that are going to be more helpful to make sure that that air pocket doesn't develop with that tillage pass. And and one is uh, the ability to change out knives or, or tips. And uh, that's one thing that I'm I'm really proud about uh, on our equipment is is that we allow for the uh, for the changing out of basically any kind of tip a guy wants as long as it mounts to a side mount shank. You know, um, so uh, so that allows us a great variety in terms of tips uh, that that a guy can use in the spring to make sure that he doesn't have that air pocket as they're as they're going through their fields. Um, the other way to make sure that you don't have that air pocket, obviously, is to set your basket more aggressively in the spring than you do in the fall. Uh, depending on where you're living and where you're farming, uh, you may not even need a basket in the fall. Uh, some guys uh, do choose to run one anyway and, and more lightly hit or tickle the soil um, in the fall and then really, uh, and really bear down on it with the basket in the spring to make sure it's both crumbling, leaving the seed bed correct uh, for planting and then uh, taking the air pocket out. And then of course, when you come back with your planter, it's still a good idea to use a no-till setup on your planter with the finger wheels to knock any, uh, any clods or residue uh, away from the strip uh, while you're planting to make sure that you're getting an even depth and even stand, even germination and things like that. Other things that you might want to consider for the spring is uh, a lot of times you're dealing with not quite a he as heavy a residue in the spring. Um, so you may want to take a residue manager that would have maybe been in a, a heavy position, for example, uh, in the fall and, and lighten up on the pressure on that a little bit so you're not throwing as much dirt out in the spring. And as far as your, uh, as far as your hillers go, you really, want to, uh, you really want to make sure and adjust those so when your hiller, when your hiller and basset combination are done working the strip, you're leaving about an inch berm in the soil is, is, uh, is usually what uh, we've heard guys prefer. And then of course, uh, you always got to watch your fertilizer rates. You know, whether you're going in the fall or the spring, just make sure you know what your ground is going to be able to handle. And with that comes depth you know, uh, what, uh, what depth are you putting it at, what rate are you applying, and whether I'm going to be planting, you know, four or five months from now, or whether I'm going to be planting two weeks from now. So 
all that has to come into account and uh, you know as as equipment folks we hate to make those recommendations to uh, to farmers as to what rates right or what rates wrong um, normally we can uh, we can we can tell folks what we've seen from experience um, if they're if they're putting down uh, if they're putting down a dry P and K uh, we've talked to a lot of guys who have been able to cut I don't know, 20 to 30 percent off of their broadcast P and K application, but then it's important to note also that if they cut that back, they've still got to keep sampling their soil to make sure that that isn't just taking up extra reserves of P and K in the soil that uh, that could have been there from years of over applying, um, because uh, somewhere between year three and five, or maybe even year seven, you might actually run out of that extra P and K that you'd put into the soil, and uh, all of a sudden. And find out you're deficient because you've uh, you haven't been using the the correct rate. So just keep that in mind as well. You might be able to cut back a larger percentage to start than what you'll end up with to finish. And then uh, I guess for for folks that are just starting out in strip till, keep in mind it's it's uh, it, you've you've got to kind of make it work. You know, it's it's something that. Uh, uh, if if you're willing to make it work, it's going to perform for you. But it's it's not going to be something that's the easiest way to farm. It's going to be something that's going to be a very very good and efficient way to farm. It's uh, probably going to help you a lot with your uh, your land stewardship, and also it's going to save you some dollars in. Uh, passes across the field and fertilizer but it's certainly a practice that that has to be adapted to you're, you're probably going to make some mistakes and uh, hopefully you come out on the on the better side of them and finally we chatted with planter expert phil needham of needham ag technologies who share some advice on putting the right pieces of equipment together ahead of planting to ensure consistent results so the role of tillage is very specific to region and obviously depending on where the person would be would dictate the solution or the, or the preferred solution. But I would suggest if you're in Kansas or Nebraska or northern Oklahoma, those areas are looking primarily towards no-till, maybe with a row cleaner up front to clean a strip. So to move that heavy residue out of the way right. to facilitate some soil warming and that's also going to help slot closures. So that would be more of a, a solution for those regions. If you're in an area like central or northern Illinois or in Minnesota, perhaps, you're going to need more soil warming, especially as you get north into North Dakota. So those regions are looking at a little bit more tillage, maybe strip tillage, which is going to get you in the field, you know, five, ten days earlier because that strip is warmed and drier. So these are some things to think about from a point of view of tillage's role by region. Yeah, so a lot of it is kind of comes down to just working with what you have in that regard and making adjustments. It is, and the primary things that we're looking for are obviously getting that seed into the soil to a consistent depth and closed with a good closing system so you can get as consistent emergence as possible. Obviously, singulation is critically important. We want uniform spacing between seeds. That's obviously our primary goal. But the secondary, and almost as important as the primary role, is uniform emergence. Most people want all of those seeds or shoots to emerge out of the ground within a 24-hour window, which is really a bigger challenge than a lot of people think, right. especially on different soil types. You know, if you go from a, 
higher moisture soil to a drier sandy ridge, oftentimes that presents challenges in uniform emergence. Kind of transitioning into the role of precision technology, how, what can that be used? How can that maybe tear, uh, pair with some of the uh, tillage equipment that maybe you offer? Um, the precision component has a lot of benefits. Number one, obviously, swath control to be able to shut seed flow off when you reach the end row so you don't have overlap. So that saves doubling up on seed and saves the value of the seed. So you don't get lodging where the seeds were doubled up, plus you don't get the, plus you're not losing the money of seed when you're doubling up. So that would be the primary benefit. The other benefit, depending on region again, would be the ability to change your population by soil type or by productivity zone within the field. For example, if you've got known areas within the field that could make 250 bushel corn or more in central Illinois, those are probably going to need a higher seed population. But you may have areas in the same field for whatever reason, maybe sandy spots, they just don't have the top end potential in the, in the most productive years. And maybe there are 180 bushel highs in a, in a good production year. So maybe those areas need a lower corn population. So I would say swath control, and variable rate seeding would be the primary two. And to hook, hook into the variable rate seeding, you could also do variable rate fertility, just where you get more seeds, you could bump the start of fertilizer up, for example, or the fertilizer off to the side. Martins has a fertilizer opener that puts fertilizer in a band to one side or both sides, and that would be the same situation. You could do variable rate two by two or variable rate two by two by two fertilizer also with prescription maps by so, soil So type. right up there in the yield considerations are you know, really massive seed savings if you really get down to the nitty gritty of what particular field need. Yes, and standability benefits. I mean, you wouldn't want to be putting a, there's just not the money in agriculture to be spending high population and good genetics in, in lower productivity areas. Maybe, maybe switching hybrids in some of them lower productivity areas would be a good option also mm -hmm. you, know, you can do that now with some planters they've got two sets of hoppers so that gives you the luxury of using hybrid a in one part of a field and hybrid b in a higher productivity area of a field so that would be another option for sure and kind of going into the variable rate seeding thing this is a little off the cusp from this but you mentioned the uh, the different seed inputs depending on where you are in the field um we visited a strip tiller out in nebraska and certain parts of his field ha it, uh, struggled on, on the soybean side with uh, iron deficiency chlorosis and he actually found that in those areas he would just grossly overpopulate with seeds way more than he would normally in other parts and he found that in doing so it can kind of counteract the negative effects and, and, and get a crop where he wouldn't normally get one. And I would say that same principle would work on corn and soybeans and wheat. So yeah, you'd have to start off with a sound understanding of the field and where the productivity regions are within the field. Maybe it's soil type, maybe it's fertility, maybe it's something else, and it could be pH or nutrients. But yeah, being able to vary the population has a lot of benefits that a lot of people still haven't tapped into. Well, thank you to each of the companies and farmers for sharing their time and perspective at this year's National Farm Machinery Show. And those listeners who would like to see more of our coverage from the event can visit striptillfarmer.com. 
Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessetermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up with the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily email. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at striptillfarmr and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again on March 16th for the next episode in our 2018 podcast series and a reminder to look for speaker and program updates for the 5th Annual National No-Tillage Conference at striptillfarmer.com. For each of the companies and farmers we visited with in Louisville, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.